Well, what is up, City Hope? Are you excited to be in church today? Come on, let me hear from somebody. And I want to take a moment, welcome all of our campuses, Midtown, Mobile, Baymanette, Foley, those of you who are in correctional facilities, and of course, those of you who are watching online. Hey, Malbus, why don't you stand with me? All of our campuses, would you stand with me this morning? And uh, as you do, let's give all of our campuses a round of applause and welcome them. <clears throat> yes. Well, we are in week two of a message series that I wholeheartedly believe is pivotal to the life that you are designed to live. It's called Joyride. And this morning, I want to talk about the joy of praise. And I'll unpack that in just a minute. But I don't know what you came into this room at all of our campuses. I don't know what is burdening you today. Some of you may be up against some of the toughest challenges of your life. Some of you are facing crises and things that you've never had to deal with. And I want something to happen in this room today. Folks, if, if all that happens is contained in this room, then, then we're just, we're playing church. Wouldn't you agree? And in, to get there, what I want to do is I want to pray. But I want you to begin to open your mind and open your heart and filter through all of the weighty things that are weighing heavy on you right now, the things, your challenges, and, and the problems that you're confronting and you're dealing with. And I want you to begin to say, God, do something in me. I, and I'm saying, all pride aside, any, any preconceived, any stubbornness, anything that would eliminate or, or distract you or stop God from doing what God really wants to do today, I want you to begin to go ahead and, and mentally and spiritually prepare. God, it's your day today, and I need you. So I want to pray for you, and I want everybody to close your eyes. And as I pray this, I want you to begin to just prepare your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, I take authority over depression. I take authority over every lie of Satan. And I take captive every thought and make it obedience, obedient to Jesus Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, have your way in every person who is under the sound of my voice right now. Move beyond me and do what only you can do. I declare this. I declare miracles in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you're seated, I want you to do this. And I want every campus to participate. I want you to open your hands and just, and just open them like this, like you're going to receive something. And I want you to say, Jesus, have your way in my life right now, today. Amen. Amen. Now, one more time. Can we give Jesus a great big hand of applause? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. And before you're seated, look at the person next to you and say, hey, it looks like you're losing weight and you're going to have your zero. <laughs> Welcome to Joyride. <laughs> hey, it's very possible that some of you 
may have either heard very little or never heard the word praise referenced. Many of us are accustomed to the word worship. And uh, where I want to go today, first of all, I'd like for you to know that there is a difference. There's a difference between praise and worship. Praise is more uh, declaring and more celebratory. As a matter of fact, there are Hebrew words for praise, and we'll unpack those in a minute. But worship is that posture that's more that intimate connection where we are in a place where we speak to God, we sing songs to God, and God speaks to us. Praise is more that I'm celebrating the goodness of God. And there are Hebrew words for praise that have been that, that, that we translate, some of us, we, we have put them into our uh, English vocabulary, and uh, one you're going to be very, very familiar with. Now, I like Hebrew because Hebrew packs a punch. You can say one word in Hebrew, and it means like a hundred words in English. I don't know how, if anybody knows anything about Hebrew, but it's awesome. Sometimes I want my wife and I to learn Hebrew because I believe that, like at the end of my day, when she likes to talk, I could say one Hebrew word. How was your day, honey? Shabama. Shabama means woke up this morning, had some meetings, it was a great day, went to lunch with so-and-so, wrapped it up, and now I'm home. Shabama. Wouldn't that be great? Any men? Yes. We're going to learn Hebrew. So one Hebrew word that we incorporate into our worship or Christ's follower vernacular is the word hallelujah. Everybody say it with me. Hallelujah. hallelujah. It's a strong word. It's a powerful word. It's the premier word for praise in the Bible. Hallelujah transcends the languages of the world. It's not just translated, it's transliterated. Hallel, the first part of hallelujah, it means to boast or to brag on, to make a show. And I like this part, even to the point of looking ridiculous. Now, how many have ever seen somebody ridiculous in a football stadium? Yes. Then there's the word tequila. It's where we get our word tequila. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and this word suggests that God himself is a song of praise. We might say it like this. God is our song. Say it with me, tequila. I heard some of y'all, you said tequila. Toda, another Hebrew word. It means to shout or to address with a loud voice. And toda goes even further. It includes an attitude of gratitude, which I love, for God's promised deliverance, even while we're still in need. Imagine that concept. God, I'm still in need, but I'm grateful. I thank you. Now, I want you to understand that praise is such a vital component of our relationship with God that David went as far as feeling necessary to say in Psalm 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And I want us to do that right now at every campus. Say, praise the Lord. Praise. Say it again. Say, praise the Lord. There's something powerful about that. It's not just a religious thing that we do. It's not just an exercise. It's not just a, a calisthenic. There's something powerful about what happens when we praise the Lord. To bless is to praise with gratitude and with affection. 
Now, I want to take you to a scripture that you probably have heard before. It's found in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. Jesus quoted this passage of scripture in Isaiah uh, in the Gospels, and I want to read it to you. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. It's the good news of the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, to give them the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and that he would be glorified. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I don't feel like I would have to say much this morning to convince you that we live in a very heavy, heavy world. We live in a very pressure society, the pressure to raise a family, the pressure to have a healthy marriage, the pressure to have a healthy home, the pressure to raise kids, the pressures of your job, the pressure of finances, and on and on and on, the pressures go. And we live in a very heavy society. And if that's not enough, let's be honest, we have the media screaming that so loudly and so negatively and the negative tones that come through the channels and the airways convincing us that we might be on the edge of an apocalypse. It's just negative, 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 negative all the time. And these are challenging times. You see, I'm thinking that it's not enough to know about God. It's not enough to have the knowledge and the information and how God works. I believe that we're living in a day where you're going to have to know who God is. And I want to tell you that that's possible. I want to tell you that you can know God. I know that religion says that, hey, we come to church and we hear about God so that we can know about God. But I want to tell you and I want to compel you to come to understand that there is relationship which is so apart from religion. And it says you can know who God is and you can know God personally. I don't know about you, but I want to know God. And so today, I want to take you on a journey. And together, I want us to take some time and I want to explore the personality of God. I want us to explore the very nature of God. Yes, God has a personality. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So to put it on a personal level, whatever just came into your mind when I referenced God is the most important thing about you. And the reason for this is because we are always moving towards the image of our God. So when you think about it, what could come to someone's mind when they think about God, it could be a thousand different things. For some, when they think about God, they think of this impersonal cosmic force, this light, this massive energy, this divine something. Maybe it doesn't even have a name. It's just this great 
divine being. It's faceless. For others, it's more a caricature. He's like a sweet old grandpa, if you will. He's been around for so long and he can't move around like he used to. He has enlarged the text font on his phone so much so that you can read it across the room. He probably has a few pieces of candy in his pocket and he's just a good, sweet, lovable old guy and we love him. For others, he's a heavenly butler. He's like Siri or Alexa. And when you have an emergency, you're supposed to be able to call him. And he comes into the rescue of your life. And he helps you and he eradicates the problem. And he goes on about his business and you go on about yours. For others, he's an angry scorekeeper. And he waits to crush you when you do something wrong. Regardless of your image, we have to get this right. Because Tozer goes on to say, we tend by secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. If you have a flawed view of God, you will end up with a flawed life. Because you are created by God and you are created for God. And your image and your view is pulling you towards your creator. And if your view is flawed, then your whole life is going to end up flawed. And I love the fact that God did not just leave us here to try to figure all this stuff out. He is not silent in this conversation. And he never did this more clearly than when Jesus Christ himself stepped onto this planet 2,000 years ago. And the scripture says that Jesus was the exact representation of God's glory. He is God personified in human flesh. 189 times in the four Gospels, Jesus refer references God. And the most important thing of all of the things that Jesus taught about God, he teaches us that he is a father. Now, think of the core text in the teachings of Jesus. Even how he taught us how to pray. And most of you can recite what I'm about to tell you. Jesus taught us to pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He is our Father. And so when you approach God, you approach God as Father. Now, I want to tell you, I am the father of two incredible sons. They're grown now. They have beautiful wives. I have great daughter-in-laws. And they grew up to be just incredible young men. I'm proud of them. As a father, at the time when... From the time they came home from the hospital to growing them up, I, like you, did the very best that I could. I didn't always know. And how many know they don't come home with an instruction manual? you got to figure stuff out, right? And sometimes that's tough, but we did the best we could. We provided for them. We gave them security. We gave them love. We gave them food. We gave them clothes. We gave them all this stuff. We even gave them boundaries. And that's where, if I erred in any way, I feel like I probably went too far because I was a strict dad. I was very rigid. You could not have ice cream before dinner. It's going to spoil your dinner, right? You can't have candy before dinner. It's going to spoil your dinner. You have to go to bed at a certain time because you need your rest. Well, ladies and gentlemen, now I'm a grandpa. And I want you to look at this face. 
She's the most beautiful child in the world. And she loves her pop. And she's just adorable. Her name is Violet, and she turned two last Sunday. That's Miss Violet. And yes, she rules. Things have changed. Now ice cream is part of the menu. You want ice cream, baby? You can have it during the meal. You can have it before the meal. How much money do you need, baby? Let's go shopping. Let's buy you something. It's been 10 minutes since we bought you something. We got to buy you something else. You want to stay up six extra hours and have playtime? Absolutely. You need no rest. We have, we have things to do. We have a world to see. Whether you are a father, a parent, a mother, a grandmother, or grandfather, I think you'll have to agree with me that there is something very distinctive about parenting and grandparenting that not one parent or grandparent at any of our campuses today can deny that when it happens, there is nothing that compares to it. It is when that child locks eyes with you and gives unsolicited, I love you. Unsolicited, thank you. I have this little free-spirited, beautiful little girl just running around my house now. And when she opens her arms and she says, I love you, Pop, there is nothing in the world like this. Nothing compares. And let me just go, go on to say that you can't explain it. And you can't explain it because you can't manufacture it. You can't generate this in your own human resources. There is joy. There is sheer delight that is generated from this interaction that creates a supernatural connection that cannot be explained in a human vocabulary. Now, I can't explain it, but I do know this. That in that moment of exchange, that child not only has my attention, but that child has tapped in to everything within my resources. And those resources immediately become his or hers for the asking. It's interesting because there's something to this. And because we cannot explain this, then we need to understand where it came from. We need to understand the origin of it. We need to understand who invented this. There is a design that I want to draw your attention to, and to illustrate it, I want to take you to the very genesis of life itself. In the beginning, when God created everything that he created, he always spoke to the source of what he created. He always spoke to whatever he was going to create to the source of what he was going to create. In other words, whenever he created a tree, he spoke to the ground. Whenever he created the fish, he spoke to the water. If you take the tree up from the ground, it will die because the ground is the source of life for the tree. If you take the fish out of the water, it will die because the water is the source of life for the tree. But something very intriguing happens when he created man. He did not speak to anything. He spoke to himself. He said, let us create man in our image. And so 
it, it, it helps us understand that where we are today, we have to understand that our source is God. And this is why tangible things will not satisfy you. This is why money cannot make a lasting difference in your life. This is why material things cannot make a lasting difference in your life because your source is God. And when you connect to him, you are fulfilled. And outside of him, you are literally in quandary trying to find whatever it is to satisfy that void, deep, dark space in your heart and in your life. Money can't give you joy. Stuff can't give you joy. Wealth and status will not give you joy. These things might at best bring you a temporary happiness. So I want to enlighten you today. And this may be a shocker for some of you. Some of you realize this, but this is very true. And you need to understand that you have an opponent. You have an enemy. Satan is your enemy. He does not want you to connect to your life source. And his number one primary job is to keep you distracted from the one thing that can bring you joy and life and hope and fulfillment. His number one job description is to keep you outside of the margins of a relationship with God. He seeks to present all of the stuff and all of the things and all of the money and the pursuit of money through happiness and tangible things and houses and all of these things in an attempt to convince you that they are your source. His name is Satan, and he has been up to the same tricks for thousands and thousands of years. I want to ask you this question. Do we really believe, did we ever really believe that we could authentically and sincerely set out to pursue a relationship with Jesus and a relationship for the heart of God and grow healthy and grow towards the heart of God and Satan just sit casually by, fold his arms and leave us alone. I think sometimes we think that that is the arrangement. Because we try to control everything on the outside of us in hopes that if we can get it all right, if we can tweak it just right, then we'll be problem-free and we can serve and pursue God the way we were designed to serve and pursue God. And ladies and gentlemen, that's just not realistic. John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief, Satan, the thief, he's a con artist, he's a liar, he's a thief. And it says he comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He cannot tell you the truth. He cannot give you fulfilled life. He cannot sustain you. He cannot give you joy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and they may have it to the full. It's that connection again. It's that life source that we have to plug into. You see, Satan is after one thing. He wants one thing. He wants who you are. He doesn't want what you have. He wants who you are. Because if he gets who you are, he already has what you have. And so he is after your identity. He is after who God says you are. And he will do everything and anything that he can to get to that identity because he knows that if he can take you outside of God's design, then he can destroy you. Now, the parent, 
the parent who has more than one child will know what I'm about to tell you. If you have more than one child, son or daughter, they're different. They're different. They're not the same. They have different personalities. They have different propensities, and they have different ways that you have to approach their life. They're different. My two boys were different when they were growing up, very different. I had one that you could sit in a room full of trouble, and he wouldn't get into it. I had another one, you could sit in a room with no trouble, and he'd find it. He'd make it. He'd create it. He was the creator of trouble. And when he was three, we were involved in a church activity. We went to church, and we brought him with us, and Caleb was the guy that you had to keep your eye on. I mean, you just had to watch him. Any, any parents know what I'm talking about. I mean, you just like, if you just let him out of sight for 30 seconds, it's over. I mean, there's no telling where he is or what he's doing. And Caleb was that guy. He was three years old, he was mischievous, he was adventurous, and he was always into something. And so it happened that we lost track of Caleb. We didn't know where he was. We weren't bad parents, he just slipped away from us. And we couldn't find him, and we searched every closet, we searched every room, we searched everywhere that we thought he might be, and we could not find him. Well, after quite some time, we finally discovered Caleb. Caleb had put himself underneath a table, and he had slid a white marker board in front of him and had hid himself. Now, that, that's not the distinctive part of this story. When we pulled the marker board back, what we had discovered is that Caleb had taken all of his clothes off. He had stripped down. I mean, there's naked and there's naked. Caleb was naked. I mean, he was, he was bare. He had also found himself a green magic marker. Anybody know where I'm going with this? That child takes after his mama, I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. Just kidding. He had colored himself green. Caleb wanted to be green. Arms, green. Face, green. Toes, feet, green. Plumbing, green. He painted everything. He's like, I don't want to miss nothing. I want to be green. And I'm like, who is this child? Why does he want to be green? Caleb stayed in counseling for the next five years. I mean, it was like, you're not green, Caleb. This is not who you are. As ridiculous as that is, here's what I know. Sometimes we do the same ridiculous stuff. We take money, we take status, we take success, we take the pursuit of this or the pursuit of that, and we try to cover who we really are, thinking that that is what we're supposed to project. And I'm telling you that that is not true. That is a lie from Satan and anything and everything outside of what God has designed is not who God says you are. Now, we saw this in the story of when Jesus went into the wilderness. The Bible says that he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he was tempted. He had not eaten. He was fasting. And Satan comes to him three different times, and he asks the question, if you are the Son of God. Now, I want you to think about that statement, that question. Do you think Satan knew who Jesus was? I believe he did. If you are the Son of God. And what he was trying to do is he was trying to get Jesus to second guess who he really was. If you are the Son of God, you do this. If you are the Son of God, you do this. And three, time, three times he tempted him. Now, here's what you need to understand. 
Before Jesus went into the wilderness, the Bible says the heavens opened, Jesus was being baptized, and a dove descended, and this booming James Earl Jones voice sounds from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He identified him, and he affirmed him. Let me tell you something. God has identified you, and God has affirmed you. God has affirmed you. God has called you. I don't know who the devil has been sitting on your shoulder and what he's been whispering in your ear and telling you that you are, but I've come to this place this morning to tell you who you're not. You are not depressed. You are not broke down. You are not forsaken. You are not divorced. You are not what the devil says you are. You are a child of the living God. You're created with a purpose, and God has designed you to live a fulfilled life in him. Come on and help me, somebody. That's who you are. You're a champion. You are born and created by the living King of Kings. I want to break that stigma off of your life because we live so beneath our privilege because we buy in to what the devil says. If you want to know who you really are, you have to stay connected to the source of who you are. I love what David says in Psalm 16 and verse 2. He says, I say of the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Some of you are sitting in your seat today at all of our campuses. You're exhausted. Let's be honest, you're tired. You have tried every human possible thing that you can try. You've put the energy, you've put the time, and you've put the effort, and you've put the sacrifice, and it's not working because you're not connected to the source. Let me tell you what praise is. Praise is humility. Praise is, it's something that you don't see a lot in our society anymore. It's humility. It's just the sheer awareness that I am not good enough, and if all I have is who I am, it's not that good and it's not enough. I don't have what it takes many times to get through my situations. I need God, I need Jesus. I need the power, the moving, working power of the Holy Spirit in my life. We are never, and some people say, well, you know, humility is just the opposite of pride. My contention is that humility is something that is as far removed from the word stubborn as it can possibly be. I think the opposite of humble is stubborn. And let me tell you what stubbornness is. Stubbornness is the worship of your own opinion. If you're stubborn, it means you're hung up on your way. And humility says, it's not about my way. Humility says, you know what? I've tried my way. Now I'm going to move out of the way, and I'm going to let God have his way. I'm going to let God move in this situation. I may not understand it, but I'm going to let God do what only God can do. That's true humility, and that's what praise is. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Praise is gratitude. 
Listen, we live in the one of the most, the most privileged society, the most privileged country in the world. We live in the most productive, the wealthiest, the most life-giving country. Yes, we have our issues. Yes, we have things wrong. But sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, we just need to stop and say, thank you, Jesus, I live in the United States of America. Thank you, Jesus, I have the freedom that I have. Gratitude, the attitude of gratitude in your crises and your problems, those bad kids driving you up a wall. Sometimes you just need to stop and say, God, thank you for these rowdy kids. Thank you for this crazy husband. God, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. When was the last time you just stopped and said, thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. I try to make it a habit every morning. My first on the floor is thank you, Jesus, for the breath of life. There are people who, who, who struggle to breathe. There are people who struggle to go places. There are people who struggle to put one foot in front of the other. God, thank you for my health. Thank you that my strength comes from the Lord. God, if I don't have anything else to be grateful for, thank you for what I have. And I know what I have, and I know that what I have comes from you. Thank you, Jesus. And then praise is joy. It's just joy. Now, joy is different from happiness. Joy is very different. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness are those things that come and go in your life and make you smile. Joy keeps the smile there. Joy will give you a smile and help you walk through your junk and help you walk through your stuff, even when it feels like everything is falling apart. Joy will keep a bounce in your step and people will take notice and they'll ask you what in the world is going on in your life. How are you able to smile? I know that you've just gone through this and you've just gone through that and you've had all these problems and you've had all these challenges and you're still smiling and you're still bouncing and you're still walking. Well, you just need to stand up and say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the Jesus factor. I've got something that the world didn't give me. And the world can't take it away. It's joy. It's the praise that comes from my heart and my lips. Sometimes you just need to stop and do something insane. I will tell you the majority of our problem is that we've been trying to fight what makes no sense with what makes sense. And I'm going to tell you that if you want to attack in the most effective way possible, what makes no sense, you're going to have to attack it and confront it with what makes no sense. It doesn't make sense to you. And folks, I submit to you that if we understood everything about God, what would be the point of faith and why would we need a God? Sometimes you just don't need to understand. You just need to stop and do something insane and ridiculous and just praise him and just worship him and just trust him and put your faith in him and let him do the rest of it. Just let him have his way. Come on, somebody, and just give him a shout. Somebody say hallelujah. Come on, say it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I thank you, Jesus. I'm going to do something different today because I believe you need it, and we all need it. I want our band to come up. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something that I believe that will help you put some exercise to this information. Because, again, if all we ever get is information and we don't engage, what are we doing? What are we doing? I'm going to give you an opportunity to look ridiculous but let's be honest, when people saw you from the highway walk in this building, they already think you're weird. 
they already think you're crazy. And so why not go another step? I want to give you an opportunity to shake off some weights. I want to give you an opportunity to shake off some stuff that has been weighing you down in your life. I want to give you the opportunity to step into a zone that you may be unfamiliar with. And some of you just need to drop the pride and drop the stubbornness today. And you just need to say, you know what? I'm exhausted and I'm tired of this stuff. And I'm going to just do what makes no sense. We're going to sing. We're going to sing. But I want you to venture into an engagement that you're not accustomed to. I want you to walk into a place that you're not used to, that you're not comfortable with. I want you to get uncomfortable. I want you to clap. I want you to lift your hands. And I want you to sing. I want you to open your mouth. You know, sometimes I'll look in an audience like this, and and I'll see the guys. The guys are just... Man, don't do that. Don't do that. Engage. Be free. Be free. That same guy will stand in a football stadium and yell his head off. (laughs) I'm picking. God wants that. God wants that. Before we do this, I want to tell you this. I'm not unfamiliar with all the emotions, all the hardships. I know what betrayal feels like. I don't know that betrayal is epitomized any more than when it's betrayal from a church, from a leader, from a pastor. I know what that feels like. I know what deep, dark despair feels like. I know what troubles and crises and loss feel like. I'm not standing up here telling you something I'm not familiar with. But here's what I know. I know this. Every single time I'm confronted with an issue, I have an opportunity. I have a choice to make. I can either run from it or I can run into it. And every single time that I choose to run into it, God comes through and I end up in victory. I end up in victory. I end up in victory. And that is what I want for you today. That is what I want for you. I can look around. I see tears. I see God touching your heart. And I want you to engage. I want you to lean into that. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't need to know what you're dealing with. I don't even know what the problems of your life. But I want you to have joy. And God wants you to have joy. And he needs you to be connected to him. So I want you to stand to your feet. I want every campus to stand up. I want everybody to participate in this. And listen, do what's insanely unfamiliar to you. If you want to, I want you to bounce a little bit. Hey, guys, if you won't clap or sing, just do this. Just do this. Just, Just stay right there. And just allow God to come and be a part of your life and give you a breakthrough like you've never experienced before. Are you ready? Are you ready?